Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we offer three strategies for dealing with the challenging market and financial conditions. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Kraftwerk Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you. We are back. We are back for another episode, rapidly approaching 100. I am excited to do something special for that. Yeah, you keep hyping that up. I don't know that we actually have an idea yet, so we shouldn't get people too excited about what we're going to do for episode 100, because right now, it might just be us rambling. I figure if I keep talking about it, we have to come up with something amazing. All right. Well, I, I do appreciate that you're you're painting us into a corner there, so we'll have to try and come up with some good ideas. I believe we were invited to do a live broadcast from a bourbon bar, which I'm just going to throw that out there. I wouldn't hate. I would enjoy that greatly. That would be a nice way to do it. Uh, Let's see if we can get that one penciled in. You're right. We were invited. It wouldn't necessarily be live in the sense that we're we're sending it to the, the stream live, but we could go record together in person, which we haven't done for a very long time. I was talking about this pretty recently with someone and i think the last time we did that may have been in the first few episodes that we had this podcast yeah the first couple i think it was episode two because we recorded episode two as our first one out of the gate and then we had the morgan housel interview which we recorded virtually and that was the one that we aired first um and so hopefully at some point we can talk morgan into being on the show again as well he's a busy man he is try not to bother him too much That being said, I do actually really like our topic today as the market continues to get its face ripped off as this has been a very challenging year for a lot of investors. Let's talk about some opportunities this presents. Um, And this brought to mind a few different things that are going on in the world today that maybe are unthought of planning strategies or, or some things that people can use to put the current environment on their side a little bit. The first one is for anybody that is in the situation where you need to buy or sell a home right now and a potential thing to look for. Dan, what do you got? So I was listening to a podcast earlier this week called the Keyed In Podcast with Max and Brent, which is a real estate podcast uh, focusing on DC area real estate. And one thing they were talking about, which either never occurred to me or I'd forgotten about, is the fact that you can assume a mortgage a fair number of mortgages are assumable by a buyer. So if someone is out there with a mortgage rate of 2.9%, which were commonplace a year ago, and the reason why I refinanced like seven times in three years, you could advertise that you have a 2.9% mortgage that a buyer can assume from you if they qualify. That is very attractive and can increase the purchasing power of someone who's on the market for a house today, which I mean... That's meaningful if we're looking at 7% 30-year mortgages otherwise. So when we say assume, what we're talking about here, rather than you go out and originate a new loan and you purchase the home. So that's what normally happens when you buy a home is that you go get qualified with your lender. Your lender and your down payment combine to pay off the entire value of the home. And then the seller receives that cash. They pay off the mortgage that they have today. 
they release the lien on the home. Everybody goes home happy, right? You move into the new home with your new mortgage. All of the money has exchanged hands. The old mortgage has been paid off and extinguished. An assumption of the loan basically means that the original lender that is currently on the home stays there. We don't replace the loan. They simply approve you to take over that person's loan, that person's payment, and most importantly, for the reason we're talking about it today, you're taking over that person's interest rate. That is a major, major advantage. Now, the most common loans that are assumable are FHA loans. Those are very common for first-time home buyers. So, Dan, what are the typical features of an FHA loan? I think one of the biggest ones is lower down payments. So oftentimes when we talk about purchasing a house, we're talking about something like a 20% down payment required to make that purchase. FHA loans require much smaller down payments starting at around 3.5%, which can make it more attractive for first-time home buyers in particular. And FHA, so that stands for Federal Housing Administration. The other one does qualify for this are VA loans. Now, I was really interested to learn this. VA loans, which are typically uh, loans provided for veterans, those are Veterans Benefits um, Administration loans, you do not have to be a veteran to assume a VA loan. So that is something that you as a non-veteran can actually step into that loan, again, assuming that you qualify, and take over that loan, which may be at a much lower interest rate than it is today. This is a huge thing to be looking for. Now, the reason I said that this is relevant both for a seller and a buyer, if you're a seller, you should be advertising this and this possibility with your listing. I think in a world where real estate starts to get more competitive and uh, we're just not seeing as many buyers in the market, this is a huge, huge impact to your purchasing power if you can offer that your loan is now assumable. That's going to give somebody else a lot of incentive to bring you certainly what you're asking for or maybe even above asking price to try and take advantage of that because their long-term cost of ownership is going to be much lower uh, on that same loan. So I, I think that's a huge thing, but it's not necessarily that easy to figure out which ones are assumable unless it's being advertised as part of the listing. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, that's my understanding. So there's no easy database to pull up who owns a property with an assumable mortgage. So you definitely want either your agent or if you're selling on your own to advertise that fact, assuming it's true. I also think that if you're working with a realtor, that asking them which of their listings have assumable loans, right? Like in their database or in their office of properties that that realtor and that realtor shop is representing, which sometimes can be very meaningful in terms of the size of uh, kind of the principal agent that, that's in charge of that office. Asking them what of their inventory might be assumable, they should have that information. So, you know, that's not necessarily a countywide or a, or a citywide MLS search, but they should know in terms of the properties that they're representing what is there that could be in that category. Now, it doesn't sound like a huge deal to be able to get a 3% mortgage instead of a 6 or 7% mortgage, but that can really mean perhaps a six figure swing in the type of house you could afford as far as monthly payment goes. Now, again, the process sounds easy and simple. There are a couple things you need to look out for. I'll repeat again that you do need to qualify and the lender needs to sign off on it. So it is subject to their ultimate approval. And the second thing is 
that probably means you might need to bring more cash to the table to get to the asking price that the seller is looking for because your loan is going to be whatever is left on that property unless you can secure financing elsewhere and then you're dealing with high interest rates again. Yeah, I mean that that's another important factor and I realize that that makes this a little bit of a niche strategy that you've got to have the cash and then you've got to kind of qualify and then find the property. So for some people this is maybe too many steps, right? They maybe they just don't have time to take advantage of this, but uh, I thought as part of our show, it was important that we share this information with folks that may have access to these opportunities. If you've got the resources to put together a fairly healthy down payment, this can be a huge value add. Right. It's not uncommon for someone to be asset rich and income poor for the time being. Maybe you have a healthy nest egg on the side, but maybe you don't have the income to qualify for higher payments associated with higher interest rates. And this would be a perfect situation for you. Okay. So we said we had a couple different strategies. The second one that I think if you are in retirement today and you are in the process of looking for cash flow amongst your smoldering portfolio going, well, the bonds didn't help me this year that we're supposed to, that was supposed to be my safety net asset for a stock drawdown. What do I do? Now, again, this is a little bit specific, but I think that this is relevant both in terms of how you think about retirement cash flow, portfolio drawdown, and for folks that might be in this unique situation. I would consider if you are between the ages of 62 and 70, looking at your social security filing strategy. If you are trying to wait to 70 and you have not yet filed, it is worth understanding what filing today would do to preserve portfolio value. Again, for somebody that was getting ready to retire, maybe they simply work an extra year and say, okay, I'm going to defer that retirement a little bit. But if you're retired today and you're looking for cash flow and you have not yet turned on the spigot of your Social Security income, I think of Social Security strategically. Right. Ideally, we're going to get an increase every single year and we file at 70, which gives us the best possible long-term protection. But I think that financial plans are dynamic. And this is a dynamic situation where you may not have the safe assets that have been protecting you in the way that you've hoped. It is worth considering turning it on early in those situations and thinking of it rather than uh, as a maximized Social Security but a minimized portfolio damage in terms of that drawdown process. Right. Absolutely. Both in terms of minimizing damage from not having to sell assets at a low point. And then also, I think I'm going to knock on wood. Hopefully, it's fair to assume that long-term returns from this point forward, from where we are in the market, are going to be greater than they were a year ago. So having our money invested can yield better results for us over the long term than taking it out and having to spend it. So let's Let's spend the social security money now, potentially, and let our assets bake a little longer. Well, yeah, as long as forward returns are positive, they are certainly better from here than they were from a year ago, right? You, like You can always lose 100%. We've learned that. <laughs> that's, that's the worst quote. Yeah, only 100% to fall from here. That, that's, the, that's the worst case scenario. But yeah, I think that's unlikely. Uh, yeah, so, so exactly. You're, you're going to be hopefully waiting out the storm with your social security payments. Now, there's several things that you can do. From the time that you file, there's actually a one-year look-back window that you could potentially repay the Social Security Administration and then go back to delaying. 
they don't let you delay that forever now because people used to do that. They used to try and do that. They'd file at 62. You could essentially collect until 70. If you had the assets to pay the Social Security Administration back, you pay them back all of that money that you've been basically borrowing for free, then refile at 70 at the higher payment amount. That is no longer allowed. You get a one-year period to reverse your decision. So if you file now, let's say the market takes off like a rocket ship, we get 60% returns, your portfolio recovers entirely, you want to pay it back and then delay the filing until you're intended and further out age, you can do that in a one-year period. Now, you do want to be careful with how you make decisions around Social Security, and I do recommend either researching it heavily or consulting with a financial advisor. But if you are still working and below your full retirement age, you might want to be careful about turning on the Social Security spigot because they can reduce your benefits for every dollar you earn over a certain threshold. So if you're feeling the pinch but still working, uh, you might want to evaluate that decision before making that election. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I specifically think that's most powerful for people that have already left the workforce and they're not up against those thresholds. Now, those thresholds go away at full retirement age. Uh, so for folks today, I believe that's basically right at 67, um, you know, 66 plus some months, but right, almost right at 67. So if you're between 67 and 70, yes, that's, this still works for you that you could file and you're not going to have that income testing. If you're filing between 62 and your full retirement age, that's where you've got the income testing. Again, I think that gets confused a lot that people think anytime they're filing early, or sometimes they think anytime they've got social security income plus earned income that they're going to be subject to those tests. That's only for what's considered a early filing, meaning before your full retirement age. Now, the people in that window are a small subset of the population, but not the only people who need liquidity. What other options would you consider for someone who needs access to cash but doesn't have Social Security as a fallback? I'm going to suggest three spots. Uh, and so we're going to put this... Um, this is kind of a bulleted list here, but this is for folks that are looking for liquidity. Number one, look at that home equity. Uh, if you've got a home that has appreciated meaningfully... Uh, and ideally, somebody that has a home equity line of credit already that is locked in at a low rate. Now, some of those are adjustable. You got to look at what it has, it has adjusted to. You have to look at when it is set to adjust. But ultimately, I think a home equity line of credit and possibly tapping into that home equity at a low interest rate is a much better choice right now for a short-term liquidity need than selling off assets. So that would be step one for me is do I have some equity in my home that I can access cheaply if I needed to? A lot of people have newfound home equity after the increase in home prices over the last couple of years. And I'm a big proponent of having a home equity line of credit in place before you need one so you don't have to go through hoops when the time comes where you would otherwise need access. And they do make lines of credit that don't have annual maintenance fees. So that's something I would look for. And if you can find you know, a low fixed rate, that's great. But even a fair adjustable rate might be favorable. In that line of things that are a little bit niche strategies, I, I think we've talked about this on the show. And uh, this has gotten crazy looks when I've brought it up to clients before. But this has been studied pretty meaningfully from a, an academia standpoint in financial planning, which is a reverse home equity line of credit. 
That's a, again, we're talking about unique situations, unique products. You've got to be like the bullseye that you're trying to hit for this. But for somebody that is older, has a bunch of home equity, a reverse home equity line of credit is really a very valuable tool because it means you can tap into that equity in the home and not even have a payment. What's normally happening with a home equity line of credit is that as soon as you take and draw from that line, you're going to have some maintenance cost on continuing to service that debt. Right? You're going to have to pay the interest over time and, and ultimately pay the loan back off at some point. A reverse home equity line of credit, which is similar to a, a reverse mortgage, that's not going to have any payment whatsoever. The interest there, it's not interest-free. But the interest is just going to accrue and basically increase the balance of the loan. Super unique person that can use that. But I think that it's a valuable strategy if you've got access to it or if you've already set up a reverse home equity line of credit as part of your planning. You do need to meet age requirements and equity requirements for a reverse, but they got very bad publicity early on. So I think a lot of people have been turned off to that strategy, uh, but they can be very attractive for the right person. What's number two, Dan? Where else would you look for some cash? So if you're one of those people who bought permanent life insurance long ago and the uh, insurance agent was telling you how great it would be to borrow from those policies down the road in retirement or for college, well, guess what? That could be a great source of liquidity at the moment if you have one of those things laying around. Tax-free, baby. Tax-free. And ideally, you could borrow this money to get you through the short-term need. And when markets recover, you can pay back that loan and not even have it out there kind of weighing down against your policy. So most of the time, especially on like a whole life or even some of these universal life products, you're borrowing at almost free interest. Uh, Because what will often happen with these is that they will charge you an interest rate. It might be 3 4%, but they will credit you an interest rate on the collateral. So if they are charging you a 4% interest rate and crediting you a 3% interest rate, your net cost on one of these products is like 1%. So you may have access to a very, very low cost of borrowing or even a zero cost of borrowing, depending on what's going on inside that policy. It is worth checking with your insurance agent and making sure that you're running an enforced reprojection. You want to make sure you do not collapse your insurance policy, which can make what we just talked about taxable. So uh, there is a lot of considerations. Be careful with this. But if you have equity, if you have assets in a life insurance policy, this is an attractive time to at least explore if you need some cash. Ross, the worst kind of tax is a surprise tax. That's it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not opposed to, to paying taxes if I've earned them and I have planned for them. Uh, I would prefer not to, just like everybody else. But uh, the worst kind is the one that sneaks up on you. Similarly, if you have an annuity laying around, it could be a good time to evaluate what your options are with that policy, whether that be to turn it into an income payout mode or whether you have access to the assets inside the policy as well. So uh, if you find yourself in that situation, you connected with an insurance agent a while back and bought a nice suite of products, uh, you might want to find out how best to utilize those now that you have a need for liquidity. Yeah, our main argument against the annuities is typically the cost, which are called rider fees. And a lot of those riders get baked into these fancy guarantees. Uh, And the guarantees are often something like you're going to lock in at high watermarks. So at the maximum contract value, at the maximum asset value in the contract, you may have gotten a step up where they say, yeah, we're going to pay you your income based on that value. 
Sometimes that happens automatically at whatever the high watermark is. Sometimes that is an annual or a monthly or a quarterly check-in from the annuity company to see what the value is. But it's a good time to go back through those products. And one of the things that we've learned about annuities, they are designed to get you to wait and to wait and to wait before you turn the income on. They they add all of these carrots where they go, well, you're going to get 5% if you turn it on at age 65. But if you wait until age 70 to turn it on, you're going to get 5.5%. And if you wait till age 80 to turn it on, you're going to get 6%. Right? They, they add all of these kind of like extra hoops to jump through where they're trying to encourage you to wait longer and longer and longer. And they know that the longer you wait, the more likely it is that the annuity company quote unquote wins, right? You start putting that life expectancy on their side, not on yours. These products make sense to turn on when you've got those guarantees, especially when you're trying to preserve other assets. So this is a great time to be evaluating those and looking at turning them on if you're in that situation. I think oftentimes these products get oversold. And while I wish a lot of people would look critically at the decision at the time of purchase before they sign their name, once they have products, once they own these things, I feel like there are a lot more options available to them that they don't explore. So rather than getting rid of a policy, which can be the default for someone who regrets a purchase, there probably is an effective way to utilize it. So you want someone there helping walk you through those decisions. Uh, and ideally not another insurance salesman because they'll try to sell you a different policy. Yeah, they'll flip you into the next one. Yeah, the, they want to get paid again. And uh, that might not be in your best interest. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where as soon as you make that purchase decision, it is tough to unwind. You often in these cases have four to sometimes 10 years worth of surrender charges. That happens both on the annuity side as well as on the life insurance side. And so once you've made that purchase decision, you know, it's kind of like, how do you maximize these products? And we've talked about them in the past. But again, we just wanted to bring this back up because we're in that unique environment that having that flexibility, having that optionality, use it, right? If you've already paid for the guarantees and this is the time that you need them, this is when we want to be looking for those opportunities to to really make the most of it and put the annuity company and the insurance companies on the ropes for the guarantees that they've made. Right. And it's kind of a justifying thing as well, because it rewards you for having made that decision instead of having you sit around on that product and wonder when it's going to become handy for you. Well, that's it. Those are our three strategies for today. If you are selling your home or buying a home, take a look and see if your mortgage is assumable or if you can acquire a property with an assumable mortgage. You may be able to lock in much cheaper financing than if you were originating a new loan today. Unique situation, but a very interesting one. Number two is to evaluate your social security switch situation and check to see, does it make sense for you to file? Again, I wouldn't make that decision in a vacuum. I would have a financial planner look at this with you uh, and to evaluate that decision. Number three would be if you've got access to capital, especially capital that's got some guarantees associated with it, whether that be in your home, whether that be in an insurance product or in an annuity product, this is an opportunity to take a look at those if you're in a liquidity crunch. The final thing I'll say, Dan, just to to put a cap on our show, we've gotten a couple emails that have basically asked us about other advisors to work with, or like basically, do we have we if we've got other folks that we can recommend or some things like that? For folks in most states, Dan and I are continuing to accept new clients. 
we really try hard not to make this show an advertisement for our business. We want to give out value and hope that everybody that's listening finds it valuable. But if you're listening to this show and you're going, I would love to work with a financial planner like Ross or Dan, that is not only possible, uh, that's encouraged. So we'd love to hear from you. Craftwork Capital is the name of our actual company. Uh, it's craftworkcapitalllc.com is the website. Um, so just a, a quick note, because I, I, I always, I'm like a little bit heartbroken when I get some of those emails where people almost think that they can't work with us. And that, that's exactly what we're here to do. Uh, so if you're looking for a more personal relationship, um, that's out there or at least possible. Or if you want to get together and jam one day, we'll uh, plug in the guitars, pick up the sticks and have some fun. There you go. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you all next week on another episode. 